brought to you by Combat Flip Flops. Bad for running and even worse for fighting. Combat Flip Flops are your ticket to the unarmed forces by providing you with the military-inspired quality footwear for men and women. Be sure to enter the code UNITY at checkout to help support the podcast. And in support of women in developing countries, head over to CombatFlipFlops.com and become part of their unarmed forces today. And by Beneath. Starting with the first thing that you put on in the morning, Beneath inspires you to be your most authentic self. Get ready to experience increased comfort that radically outperforms anything that you've tried before while leaving minimal impact on Mother Earth. Use the code UNITY to get 15% off at checkout at Beneath.com. That's B-N-3-T-H.com. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode. I am very thrilled as usual to have another incredible guest. Somehow I am getting these insanely talented, just changing the world and making the impact. I would love to introduce to everyone, Lieutenant Colonel Grossman. He is the author of On Killing and On Combat, and he is one of the most well-used strategic advisors I've ever heard. And I am so thrilled to have you on the show. Welcome, sir. Thanks, Kelsey. And and, and of course, I, I know about your ministry, if you will, and your the work that you've been doing. It is just oh, so gosh. cool to see how various dynamics, uh, uh, art can be therapy, uh, writing can be therapy, and turning brass. You know, brass is kind of the symbol of combat. It's the most ubiquitous. It's the, the, the it, kind of at the atomic scale. It's the smallest representation of combat. But be able to take this and then and then go through the process of turning it into art, and you can't hang on to your anxiety as you go through that process. It's like you know writing, taking the memories and turning them into sterile words and sentences. You, you, the, the key to healing is to separate the memory from the emotions. To be able to think about it without having the physiological process happen. You know, in a nutshell. Uh, when we're in a life and death situation, the sympathetic nervous system arousal kicks in, SNS. and mm -hmm. And then when the danger is gone, there's a parasympathetic backlash. So it's called fight or flight. And then the backlash is feed and breed. So, you know, um, breed, right? And, uh, mm -hmm. and for a lot of people after life and death event, there is a, 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 a sense that they gorge themselves. And other people have a really, uh, really profound sexual experiences, even victims of violent crime, police officers will have that. But, you know, and, and what happens is days later, weeks later, some noise, some smell, smells are very powerful. Uh, yes. You know, an amoeba only has two senses, you know, that an amoeba can sense pressure and it can sense electrical uh, uh, identific or, uh, chemical identification, smell and, and taste, just chemical uh, receptors identifying chemical contact. And so the smell is very, very profound. And, uh, and what happens is something sets it off and you go on that sympathetic nervous system arousal again. And what I tell everybody, it's so important. I, you know, I've had the honor to train most of the units that deployed from the Canadian Armed Forces. Uh, and they are magnificent. Throughout 20 years of war, they have just been magnificent. So some of our very, very best allies, some of our very best uh, fighters in this war. But what happens is you re-experience that event. It is not PTSD. It's normal. How you deal with it will determine whether or not it becomes PTSD. 
And if you try to not think about it, if you try to not think about it, you will literally drive yourself crazy trying to not think about it. So you you take a piece of brass. Yeah, yeah. You know, a piece of brass. If your listeners may not know, when you fire a weapon, a, a little piece of extended brass ejects. And every shot has a little little souvenir of every round fired. And you fire thousands and thousands of rounds. So I, I never thought of it like this before, but it kind of, the, the atomic scale, the smallest indivisible atom of combat is that shell casing. And you're turning those into jewelry. So what you're doing is you're taking that memory, you're taking those, but you're, you're associating with something beautiful and something good with a sense of creation. So you're thinking about it without reliving it. And that's the path of healing. And, I, and I'm so proud for you right. that you found that path and, and that you're reaching out toward veterans. I'd like to talk to you more about our veterans. Does, it, does that all make sense from your perspective? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've been very fortunate in my time to have had a team of doctors that gave me great healing and perspective into, and also introspective work into what's happening with my brain. I find the biggest thing for me in, in terms of what my healing would have required For me, I need to understand what is actually going on from a physiological standpoint. I'm not the type of person to read a book and go, okay, this is happening to me and not want to know why it's happening to me or how I can attack it and then, you know, set up basically a war plan to attack my own brain and go, how am I going to go from all angles when it pivots? How am I going to go here when it retreats? How am I going to do this when it decides to poke its head up out of nowhere when I'm not expecting it? And so... I, I do have a, right. a doctor and he would be incredible for you to chat with. He's treated some of the, he's one of the most respected PTS doctors in Canada, Dr. Greg Passy. And he also was the doctor who went to bat for the women in the sexual assault case against the RCMP. And so this man is a veteran himself, uh, is retired as well. He um, served in Bosnia and Rwanda as a medic. Um, and he was uh, an officer, if I'm not mistaken. And this, you know, he's a no bullshit kind of guy. And so when I went to him and I moved out here, he was very clear as to what this looks like and what I'm experiencing and in the path forward for as much as we could understand it 10 years ago. The, the research has been so extensive in this time frame, and it has given so much hope to so many that it's incredible when you finally get to understand what's happening inside your body on a different level. And so for me, when I hear you say, um, you know, brass is such a small representation of, of really this big thing and it's how you cope with it. And I will tell you if, and I, and I say if, because I obviously, I can't be sure, but if I were handled differently after my op that caused my injury and sustainably, I mean, in it sustained the injury that I caused was then the reason I le- had to leave the military and was medically released. If it was handled differently, if it was handled properly, if the leadership staff could understand and see the signs early enough on, then maybe there would not have yes. been a longer term issue that would have put me out of commission for a decade. It took me out of my whole 20s, 19 till, till last till this yeah. January out of commission. 
And so when I hear you speak about it, yes. I love hearing the way you talk about it because it, it, I understand that. And a lot of my listeners who are struggling with PTS and are struggling with anxiety and those, those issues when they come home from overseas, so many of them reach out and say, is this normal? Is this what I'm experiencing normal? And I say to them, how can it not be normal? You've been asked to take another human being off the face of our planet. You can't expect to be like riding rainbows and eating candy yes. and going, nothing's ever yes. wrong. That's fucking bananas. You yes. can't kill, kill a human being and not be affected. And yeah. when the government and the military tell us that, well, you should be able to do multiple deployments and everything should be fine. And then they go, oh, I wonder why our numbers or suicide rates are astronomical. I wonder why people are divorcing at a 95% rate and beating their wives and addicted to drugs. Yeah. Like, I don't know why this would be happening. Oh, I don't know the 18 year yeah. long war that you've exposed us to with yeah. no proper training. You give us the weapons, yeah. you give us the money, you give us or an attempt at the money if you're Canadian military and you give us the most poor attempt at psychological training to pre-up and re-up and have us ready to go actually kill human beings. You know, Kelsey, there's just two critical things what you just said. Number one, we can heal. We can get better. One Ooh. of the most evil ideas out there is that PTSD is untreatable. You know, yeah. you know, you're living proof. But number two, I love that you refer to it as PTS. Right. And, and at, a, at an unconscious level, if you, you work that into your psyche, there's a difference between post-traumatic stress and post-traumatic stress disorder. And it's Correct. a matter of degrees. And I tell people, think about it like this. Post-traumatic stress is overweight. You know, we all got a few extra pounds on us, right? Post-traumatic stress disorder is obese. It's debilitating. And interestingly, if you look in the DSM, the Bible of Psychiatrist Psychology. The five, DSM five, or the one before that? The four? one. They, 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 really, the okay. change on, on, has been very small. But mm -hmm. when you look at it, at the end, it says that it has to last at least a month. You can Correct. have a single symptom of PTSD. And, and, and remember, post-traumatic stress is overweight. Post-traumatic stress disorder is obese, is debilitating. And, and that's what they deemed me as. Yeah. And, so and, I've, I grew up, yeah, I, I had the post-traumatic stress disorder uh, label, and I'm considered 92% disabled by the Canadian government. Uh, but, you know, and again, don't, don't, if the, no amount of money is worth a lifetime of mental illness. Just strive Thank to you. get better. Strive to get better. Right. Constantly right. strive to, to say, I don't need that label anymore. You know? But uh, mm -hmm. I, I give an example on this. Uh, Marcus Luttrell, Lone Survivor, uh, the book, right. the movie, Navy SEAL. Uh, his I know, I'm trying team. to have him on. Yeah, well, he's a good man. He, uh, his, his entire team was wiped out. He was captured. He was tortured. Very bad things happened to Marcos Luttrell who was captured and tortured. Um, and he has a podcast called Team Never Quit. I was on his podcast a while back and got his permission to talk about him. Across all the years, couldn't talk about it, now I can. I trained Beautiful. Marcus Luttrell's unit before and after that incident. And, oh, wow. uh, and, and I was there after the incident with him. Uh, his team was deploying again. He wanted to deploy with his team. It was a good thing, and he did. But uh, uh, his, his doc told me that Marcus came back from that incident, and he was 500 pounds PTSD, oh, totally yeah. debilitated. A year later, 
he was 50 pounds PTSD. And I told him at the time, I said, look how far you've come in just the last year. Look where you were a year ago. Your doc tells me you were 500 pounds PTSD. Now you're 50 pounds PTSD. And, and here's the, the key words. Look at the progress you've made so far. And I have confidence you can come farther. Now, today he tells us he is 100% post-traumatic stress free and stronger wow. experience. Of course, you're different. You know, Hemingway said life breaks everyone, but usually we're stronger in the broken parts. Life breaks everyone, but usually we're stronger in the broken places. And so Marcus Luttrell is an example of that, how we, you know, we look at the remembering, what a great interview you had in a, in a Canadian fashion magazine on Remembrance Day. And, uh, and, uh, uh, and, and Canadian Remembrance Day, look at what they endured in World War One. You know, look at what right. the, the horror of World War One, and no, they came home, got on with their life. I, I tell people that there's a new greatest generation out there. We've all seen Saving Private Ryan. We saw what the World War II vets dealt with, not for a one-year rotation, but year after year without end in sight. And they came home and they were truly the greatest generation. They were empowered by the experience and, and, uh, and they were stronger from that experience. And a new greatest generation rising up and you're a great example. Uh, it, it's, it's not easy, but when you come out the other end, you're stronger from the experience. And what a beautiful example of what you've been able to do. And, and I tell people it could be it could be gardening as therapy. Right. The, yes, it uh, is. Uh, 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 but I, I really like art therapy, the process of painting and and, and or, you know, like what you're doing and, and the process of writing it down. But the yeah. whole dynamic comes in. And here's one of the keys we found is separating the memory from the emotions. And as soon as that sympathetic nervous system arousal begins to kick in, we, we have the breathing exercise. Now, my book on combat uh, has been Marine Corps Commandant's Required Reading just ever since it came out in 2002, That's 20 years ago. So of fantastic. It's been, it's, and, and what's really fun is it's been embraced by the medical community during the pandemic. I, did a, I had a great podcast with an England ER doc and it was really all of England's ER emergency room personnel talking about how the ER community has just embraced this book around the world. He it said, it sense. turns out the, the lessons of combat apply to the medical community right now. Stress is stress and how you deal with it and how you process it applies across the board. So uh, um, this, this book on combat, we teach the breathing exercise and it's terribly important just be able to stop and, 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 and you breathe in through the nose. And we found that, that in recent, well, why, why through the nose? Because that's what seems to work. Uh, this has been used for centuries. The martial arts community has used yeah. it for centuries. But recent research tells us that it is a little more effective than the nose. And you right. breathe in for a four count. And when you breathe in, I tell people, uh, uh, relax the stomach. Let that Twinkie tumor just hang out there. You breathe in and, uh, and, and as you breathe in, just relax the stomach and let the diaphragm push it out of the way. You know, children right up to five years old had that adorable little pot belly. 
right around five, they learn the Superman. Right. The Superman yeah. pose. Yeah. And the truth is, the Superman pose is pathological. It's dysfunctional. That, that, right. that to do proper breathing, you, you've got to relax. And, and what's called horizontal breathing. You breathe in, the stomach goes out. You breathe out, the stomach relaxes. And so um, we, we do the breathing and uh, in through the nose, two, three, four, hold, two, three, four, out for the lips, two, three, four, hold, two, three, four, again and again. Now, I have hundreds and hundreds of case studies collected in my files, emails, mostly letters uh, about how my book and my training has helped them in an organized by topic. And of all the topics, the breathing exercise is by far the, the biggest folder. I mean, people, one effective. cop said this recently, don't let people tell you that combat breathing doesn't work. You can hear me doing it on the radio after my incident. Or we had, uh, we had a veteran who said uh, he'd been in Iraq and Afghanistan. He was kind of shaken off some cobwebs, post-traumatic stress, but not necessarily post-traumatic stress disorder. But PTS, mm -hmm. not necessarily PTSD. Don't throw that D in there lightly. Right. And he said he was working through some PTS issues, mountain climbing with some friends. And he's up on a steep, at the top of a steep icy glacier and they're camping out there for the night. And he wakes up in the middle of the night and he said, I'm completely disoriented without traction devices on my feet. I'm in the in pitch darkness and I'm wandering completely disoriented. And I heard your voice say, breathe oh. into the nose two, three, hold two, three, four. And, and, and all it took was one breath and I regained control. And he said, I realized right. I was literally a step away from stepping off a cliff and dying. He said, oh, Jesus he's Christ. Breathing, literally. A guy sent me an email. He said he and his wife had listened to the audio of On Combat. I did the audio of all my books. And by the way, they're all available in Canada. Uh, you can go through, uh, you know, uh, uh, go through uh, uh, Amazon Canada. Um, yes, we yes. You're actually the publisher of On Combat, so all of them are signed. Oh, and congratulations. Like, oh, oh, yeah, it's kind of fun. So I sign mm -hmm. them all. When, but, but this guy said he and his wife had sent to the, listen to the audio of On Combat. And so she mm -hmm. would, had a medical emergency. She had a tube down her throat. She was gagging and, and, and it was mm -hmm. literally a life and death situation. She can't talk. And she scrawls on a piece of paper to her husband in, in a hospital emergency room, Grossman, breathing. He said, I knew exactly what she was talking about, Vienna Kocher, in through the nose, two, three, four, boom, regain control, mm -hmm. called herself down. But with all that, let, let's run through a set of breathing exercise. And, uh, and I'll just talk you through it like I do every class. And, I love and it, hit me. Three times. So, all right. Now, okay. what I tell my cops is uh, breathe with your eyes open. Because if it's a life and death situation and you close your eyes, that's not, that's not conducive to- Not to realistic either. Yeah, so closing your eyes in the face of a potential danger is not necessarily reassuring to a veteran. So, right. you know, a lot of us will learn mindfulness and mindfulness is very good, but they usually teach breathing with the eyes closed. Now, a veteran yeah. having a post-traumatic response, closing your eyes means <laughs> the danger is out there and I can't see it. So right. I, tell people, I tell cops and military, you know, breathe with, with your eyes open. I tell veterans, just think about it 
I think that it is less threatening to do it with your eyes opening. So you know what's out there. And, uh, and we're gonna go ahead and, uh, and uh, unscrew the natural stresses bomb. Newborn baby's got their response. Head goes down, shoulders right. go back. Pull the head back, pull the shoulders back. And remember to do that, that horizontal breathing. You know, we see primitive tribes and they all got that belly hanging out, but they know something we don't. <laughs> They're do. actually not the primitive ones. We're the, we're the ones that are doing the wrong yes. thing. We should let that belly hang out there and just, just do the breathing. So here we go, three breaths. Okay, ready. Okay. In through the nose, two, three, four. Hold, two, three, four. Out through the lips, two, three, four. Hold, two, three, four. In through the nose, deep, deep, deep. Hold, two, three, four. Out through the lips, deep, deep, deep. Hold, two, three, four. In through the nose, two, three, four. Hold, two, three, four. Out through the lips, two, three, four. Hold, two, three, four. Simple exercise, two revolutions. And I, I can see. I think feel my fingers go down. <laughs> I, I feel like one of the factors and keeping that mm -hmm. forebrain dominant, you know, the, when the, when you go into that sympathetic nervous system arousal, the midbrain hijacks a forebrain and rational mm -hmm. thought goes away. The act of counting, you know, my dog counts like this, one, two, a whole bunch. <laughs> my, my, my right, dog, <laughs> right. One, two, a bunch. So the, the actual act of counting is a very forebrain process. Now, with all that said, we did the breathing. We understand we'll do it before, during, and after a stressful event. Well, in recent years, something has, has totally eclipsed that, and that's taken a swig of water. I've heard that, and I've had that conversation with other guests as well. They call it their blankie. Yes. You know, uh, oh, Blinky's a great guy. But, uh, you know, uh, a friend of mine is one of nation's leading therapists for federal agents. And, you know, she talks to agents after life and death events. And when they begin to, to lose it, she makes them stop and breathe, regain control. Now she puts a bottle of water in front of them and they recount the incident. And it's so important. The very first time you talk about it, you separate that memory from the emotion. So earlier, the better, the sooner, the better. And uh, as yeah. she debriefs the individual, she's got a bottle of water in front of them. And every time they start to become emotional, they stop, take a swig of water, keep talking. And she told me, she said that she said that six years of college, 14 years of practice and that stupid bottle of water. Bottle of water? Anything I've ever done. So it's not a panacea. There's, you know, EMDR is good stuff. Other good things out there. I tried EMDR. It did not yeah. work for me. It, I tried all the different tricks yeah. and things. Yeah. And you know, what's funny is the, the breathing exercises have been the biggest thing for me. Um, microdosing psilocybin has been a massive thing for getting me off of I was on 10 different pharmaceutical drugs. So I'm now, as of January of this year, I'm on zero pharmaceutical drugs, oh, um, which wow. is, it was my goal. So I was like, yeah, you're my drug. Yes. 
while the rest of us went um, downhill during the pandemic. You <laughs> oh, I just started doing like like plant based medicine, and it and it changed my life. But uh, the breathing, and then there's another one that my doctor taught me, and it I found it works when I'm uh, hyper hyper aware, and my husband can see it when I'm in situations, and it's uh, picking something up that's tactile. So, like for example, my journal that I keep with me everywhere. This thing doesn't go far. It's like, what does it feel like? What does it sound like? Yes. What does it smell yeah. like? Like just correct. Yeah. Exactly. And that's been the other most effective tool I've definitely had up to this far. Well, let me tell you another one now that started to take off. So understand mm-hmm. that why this wig of water works, you know, it, what yeah. it is, it's a parasympathetic process, right? Fight or flight, feed and breathe. It's, it's a form of feeding, putting something in your mouth, mm-hmm. yeah, swallowing. It's powerful, calming. You know, a deer's being chased by a wolf. You stop and get a drink, you're really thirsty. I can't get a drink. I'm being chased by a wolf, right? So the act of taking a drink sends a message. I call them the puppy, the midbrain. We all got a human right. brain on top of that dog brain, that puppy brain. And taking a drink of water sends a message to the puppy, says we're safe. We got time for a drink. Mm. So what they've done in emergency rooms around the world, though, they're taking that a step further and, and right straight to food. This, you got a crackhead or a meth head tearing up mm-hmm. the emergency room. You know what they do? They grab, a, and they call it vitamin M. They grab a bag of uh, m and rip it open, shove his face, yeah. which like some M&Ms, and completely, in most cases, diffuse the situation. Really? Just thinking about food, seeing food in front of your face, just the very act of, of smelling it and seeing it, rip it open, shove in their face, would you like some M&Ms? And, and there's great, I mean, offering a gift, offering the oh. gift of food, offering the gift of chocolate, thinking about it, seeing it. Now, you know, right. I work with cops. I'm one of the world's number one law enforcement trainer. Cops have been under a lot of attacks recently. And so, yes, so have I. But, um, but, you know, yes, I tell you people, <laughs> go back to the book and, and just, uh, and just read the book. That's all that matters. You know, what kind of journalists right. would talk about me? Never mention my books or my scholarly credentials or anything. But uh, but I was training cops a while back. And a cop came up during the break. And he's brought his partner along to vouch for the story. Such a wild story. He said, we had a naked guy in the front yard, screaming inarticulately, throwing things. Parents on the porch. Don't shoot our kid. Don't shoot our kid. Right. Now, naked guys usually mean something's wrong. Right. And very often, what you're looking at is called excited delirium. The body goes oh. into overdrive. They're capable of great feats of strength. They're not rational, and they're hot. The reason why they're naked is they're hot. I tell people, if you have a naked guy die on you, you have the docs take a temperature. If this guy's running a temp, something happened, and you didn't do it. So was Something it excited to live around? We don't know. But he had every definition for taking his temperature. And the two right. cops look at each other like, what are we supposed to do? One of the cops said, I happen to have a Snickers bar in my hand. I thought, what the hell? Oh. Hey, buddy, you want a Snickers bar? Huh? What's going to hurt? You want a right? Snickers bar? Huh? Yeah. Well, would you like to hail right in front of the stage? Well, would you like a Snickers bar? Yeah. Follow me up to your room. I'll give it to you. Follow me up your room, I'll give it to you. Let him out the room, gave a snippet before I walked away. Was it excited delirium? Would it work again? We don't know. But that's pushing the envelope and that whole process of taking somebody from fight or flight to rest and digest. 
And, and that's our goal. And we've and all of these things are fairly new. You know, the swig of water, the uh, yeah. you know, the vitamin M. Uh, just understand that we've got tools, and and uh, like EMDR didn't work for you, but the breathing did. And the whole idea right. of focusing on something tactile is brilliant. And and so just just I, and and one of the things that that happens a lot, I go to uh, European presentations and uh, British presentations, Canadian, and and they say, well our troops are running 5% PTSD. Why are the Americans so much higher? And they're not. Uh, and what, the best study we've got says that, that about 16% of the troops who deployed to Iraq and Afghanistan have PTSD. About 11% of the ones who didn't deploy have PTSD. That's what I've been reading. About one out of 10 adults, about one out of 10 adults push the right button, you'll probably get a post-traumatic response. About 5% contracted PTSD, the British studied their troops in Afghanistan, the Dutch studied their troops. So, you know, these are post-traumatic stress disorder. Almost yes. everybody has post-traumatic stress and it becomes post-traumatic growth. So we throw that D in far too lightly, but whether it's post-traumatic stress or post-traumatic stress disorder, our goal is to turn it into post-traumatic growth. And, and, and aren't you a wonderful example of having taken with, with, you know, know, with this that. idea of, of, of brass and unity, that, that brass is a symbol of combat, unity among our veterans. What a beautiful thing. Well, I, you know what it was? You know what it was, honestly, sir? I, I had an opportunity. I've been around enough of my friends to know you know, that I could call them and ask for them for pretty much anything. And I had a few of the snipers I did basic training with and you know they're six foot seven and oh. i'm five foot so they love to take photos with me because they think it's entertaining and yeah. uh i stayed in touch with a lot of those guys and i remember asking very briefly you know i my husband's an entrepreneur and extreme sports athlete and uh i wasn't i was a professional fighter so when you talk about martial arts i'd love to get into that at some point with you um and i remember just being my husband saying you know why don't you just ask for some spent casings because out here in british columbia the range options are very limited. And not only that, for the longest time, the, we were allowed certain types of guns and then we've been very recently pulled back and we are not allowed certain type of weapons. And that happened to be the only type of weapon I, I feel comfortable shooting. Mm. And so I was like, I'm just gonna reach out to some friends and see if they'll send me some casings. Um, I did that. Somebody those, else in the-, in the Who don't know casing is just another word for brass. Uh, brass, brass, correct. Yes, yes, yes. My apologies. So please go ahead. So yes, so some. Yes, yes. So I reached out and I said, you know, I need some, I need some brass casings, and I, I want to mess around with them. Can you send me some good stuff though? Don't send me a bunch of five, five, six rounds because I can get them anywhere. I want send me some fifty cal. Send me some of the three, three eights Lapuas. I want to play around, and they're like, okay. So they send me these, and uh, somebody who wasn't a fan of me at the time let it be known to the RCMP that I was sitting on boxes of ammunition. This is where it gets cute. We had just moved. No, seriously, sir, this gets bad. We moved to a brand new cul-de-sac and we had all of these people living in there with all of these kids and it was beautiful. And they had some RCMP officers there that were I hit and um, the dog handlers. So there were some serious people in the cul-de-sac. Fortunately, I take off to California to our other place with my husband and my, at the time, nine-month-old baby. And sure enough, they called the RCMP. They had the military police call me 
saying that I was stealing ammunition from the range, which I wasn't even the province. And then they sent multiple squad cars, blocked off the cul-de-sac, drawn, draw their weapons, walk yeah. to my front door as if that's a safe situation to do where they've seen my medical history and why I was released from the military and yeah. thought that that wouldn't be a situation that was going to cause any sort of ramifications uh, at all. Uh, so fortunately, I wasn't there. And fortunately, I didn't have ammunition. But what I did have and what they couldn't see because I didn't have a warrant was a box of like four thousand rounds, like just spent right. brass casings that I was about to just turn into things. Thank right. God I was not there because right. the amount of just overwhelming reaction and that could have been, been very dangerous, incredibly irresponsible, uneducated, very dangerous situation. Right. So I'm very grateful I wasn't there. But within these casings and these brass casings came a sense of comfort to me. Yes. Uh, that's why I chose to work with them. I remember Sergeant LeBlanc, my French sergeant from Vaquetse, he's now a he switched over to your side. He's now an officer. So I give him shit for it on a regular basis. And um, he was my artillery guy and taught me everything. And he was the only one to train me properly before actually going outside the wire to play infantry. And uh, he, I called him up and I, you know, I was, I was talking to him recently and he was just like, you know, it's good to see you're doing well because we knew you weren't. And I said, you know, casings to me, when I, when I pick them up, when I pick up a brass casing, I hear your voice in French saying, pick up the brass, Burns, Tabanac, pick up all the brass. We do not leave the range without the brass. And so there's a comfort in that to me. So I'm not sure if maybe that's why I gravitated towards that direction with it, but for whatever the reason, I saw, hey, we're throwing all of these out. They're going to the garbage. They're not being reloaded in some cases. So we might as well recycle something. And then that comfort came within that. And it almost gave me that strength again to be able to be around a brass casing as to before. I can remember the last situation right before they medic re medically released me. I was at the range. I was in Ottawa at Connaught Range. And um, we were running the largest Commonwealth range at the time. And they asked me to go clear a grenade range. And I went, I got out of the truck, <clears throat> go over to clear the grenade range. I took one step onto the sand and I buckled. Legs lost all my feeling from my waist down. And wow. I just hit the ground and I just was gone. I was in Afghanistan at that point. And that's when they said the final, okay, where she's not, she's not, she's not doing this anymore. So that was the last moment I remember being around ammunition and guns until I got the box and I decided, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna turn this into something for myself. And frankly, as much as you, I love, I love hearing that you love the idea of it because to hear it from somebody of your level, of your impact in the world, to you, the, the, the intelligence, the respect, the way I just view you as a human being, to hear you say that it was like a, not a bad idea. It's like, okay, thank you. Because most of the United States and Canada view my product as a very mixed review. Yeah. Uh, I'm either promoting war Wow. and killing yes. which i don't know how you do that with a bracelet yeah. and or i'm utilizing it as a tool to help others but it's a very mixed bag and yeah. it's a very interesting way when you get a response from say an orthodox jewish woman when she throws it at you at a trade show and yeah. then you get a veteran who sees it and it's like oh i know what this is hey hey did you ever deploy and then we start this whole conversation and yeah. it builds this awesome. community so look, what, look how look at the okay. good that's come from the bad you know focus on oh, that yeah look how beautiful and and you know you have taken and i'll give you this phrase you run with this 
it, it, brass is the indivisible atom of combat. It oh is the my indivisible God. atom of combat. And, and I've never thought of that before. And that's where you're taking this, this single indivisible atom of combat and turn it oh into a gosh, form of healing that. and positive response and positive dynamics. And think of it on the wrist. Think how the tactile relationship of your book, right? Your, you know, your notebook. Mm-hmm. But just yeah. reach out and, and like you're, you right now, you can reach out and feel the tactile oh, yeah. relationship yeah. Of the on you. You know what right? it is? And, and there's healing. I make everything. Yeah. yeah, and there is. And I make everything as, um, I try to make everything like a, what's it called? You know, those rings that spin? It's like a worry ring, yeah, the tactile yeah. thing. Yeah. And a lot of my bracelets and stuff are magnetic because I'm a child and I can't oh, sit still. And so it just gives me that other piece to play with. And just and, and before we forget, uh, before we forget, when we're done here, uh, please uh, uh, be sure that you send me the link to this podcast when it's up and I'll put it oh, on my for sure. That oh, well, thank you, sweetheart. It's what you do. But can I mention one thing that I think is terribly important to the wellness of all of our veterans and everybody else listening? The one area where we can make an enormous contribution. Uh, we're in the middle of a global epidemic of sleep deprivation. Just yes, do an online search, global epidemic of sleep deprivation. You'll be inundated with this. And, and what's happened is uh, that I tell people you need to understand that sleep is a biological blind spot. Our bodies mm-hmm. don't know how to make us get enough sleep. Our bodies are pretty good at getting air, food, water. You ever think how good the body is to get right, right amount of food? How much extra food would a kid have to eat to put on one extra pound? If a kid puts on one extra pound a month, by the time he's 10, he's 120 pounds overweight. So the right. body, you know, as we get older, it gets harder, I can tell you, but the body's pretty good oh, getting the right amount of air, food, water. Now notice when we want to get control, we <laughs> take control of the amount of air. But the body doesn't know how to make us get enough sleep because it always happened naturally. For throughout mm-hmm. history, for untold millennia, every night it got dark. And there were no candles, there were no lanterns or the embers of a fire. No and that's cell all phones and things there that was, keep yeah. you distracted. And there was nothing to do. Little sex, little talking, boom, you went to sleep. The body didn't have to make us sleep. It happened naturally. So now we got electric lighting and cell phones and, and uh, video games and text messages in the middle of the night. And, and we have to digest this technology. And it's killing us. You know, the, the head of Netflix has said that their number one competitor is not other providers. Their number one competitor is sleep. That the head of Netflix says their corporate policy is to steal your sleep. They don't care that they're killing you. They don't care that they're destroying your life and destroying your way of life. So understand now that the primary factor in sleep deprivation is impaired judgment. It makes you stupid. You do stupid stuff. When mm-hmm. sleep deprived, you say things and do things you will regret for the rest of your life. 18 right. hours without sleep and your impaired judgment equal to 0.08 legally drunk. 24 oh, yes. hours without sleep, your impaired judgment equal to 0.10 blood level alcohol above legally drunk. After two nights without sleep, you are psychotic. Any graduate of Army Ranger School will tell about hope hallucinations on the third day without sleep. And mm-hmm. so 
what, what happens is that we, we're, we're, this, now here's the key. We know that sleep deprivation is one of the greatest predictors of suicide. Mm -hmm. uh, some of the military research says a sleep deprived soldier can be up to five times more likely to take their life. Suicide is not a rational act. You have to have profoundly impaired judgment to take your life. Every living organism has built in this powerful drive to self-preservation. To break that drive takes profoundly impaired judgment. Now, alcohol and suicide have always been related. Alcohol Impressive. creates impaired judgment. You make a bad decision, you have a chance to rethink it. But the most pervasive form of impaired judgment is sleep deprivation. And worldwide, suicides have been quoted, not just veteran suicide, teen suicide. Oh, no. Every nation it's up 900%. Planet. Yes. Mm. Uh, 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 they call them teenagers, 10, 11, 12 year old. Teenage girl yeah. suicide rate has tripled per capita American just the last decade. So I, I had a cop come up in, uh, during one of my breaks in a class. And such a tragic figure. He said, he said, I had a good girl. He said she was an A student. She said, Dad, it's embarrassing. You don't have to take my cell phone every night. You can trust me. So he said, I trust her. I'll never keep her cell phone. A little while later, she took her life. He said, my little girl oh, took her Christ. life. And he said, we never knew the hell she was living in until we looked at the text messages on her cell phone. Yeah. Night after night of ceaseless, relentless, vicious bullying. And he can't Continuous. just joke that that we're, we're not wired that way. Uh, no, and, no. And, and, um, and, and, and he said it was heartbreaking to see her up all night long, night after night, trying to defend herself, trying to find somebody to stand up for her. He said, uh, he said I understood my little girl was bullied to death. What I yeah. didn't understand until now she was sleep deprived, tormented, and tortured to death in front of my eyes, and I let it happen. He said, I can't ignore, I can't ignore that text message in the middle of the night. How can we expect our kids to? He said, the they, they eat, sleep, and breathe that. The second they miss something, they feel like their whole life is out of whack if they don't they answer immediately. They're literally going through withdrawal symptoms. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 you know, and so, so controlling the electronic devices in your children's life is so important. And no TV in the room, no laptop in the room, no cell phone in the room. They have got right. to get the room and sleep. No electronics in the room, period. But the I'm other so glad you brought that up, though, honestly, mm -hmm. because we are we are living in an age where I'm seeing it more and more with uh, my friend's children. I'm seeing it with uh, kids that are around us. My son is turning five. And we are the most regimented, routined individuals. And when it comes to, obviously that comes from my husband being in, you know, in, in a very extreme sport where there had to be regiment. And it comes from my military where it's like, I just, I, I can't leave the house till the bed's made because I can hear somebody yelling in my head. And so there, it's just like, I can hear them being like, it's going to take you two seconds. You're being a little bitch, make the bed. And I'm like, okay. So I, I understand that, but I think it's so important and it's so prevalent that the way these kids are, are being, I don't want to say brainwashed, but they're being brainwashed with these devices. And when I speak to a parent who's like, well, 
I know lots of kids are eight years old with an iPhone. And they, I say, why does, did that, did your son have an iPhone? And she goes, oh, well, I had to get him one. All his friends in private school already have one. I said, yeah, but you're, that, that's his mental health. Like you're realizing that you're putting in front of him access to everything in the world poor, the black web, kids that are going to just be horrendous to one another. And you think that that's okay to do at an age that's just where they're developing most of the way that they're able to live the rest of their life based on pattern behavior? That's terrifying to me. Well, the other half of that equation, though, who's going to be your mommy? Who's going to make you turn well, that's off? Right. Who's going to make you turn off that video game and self-regulation? Put the cell phone on private when you go to bed at night. Uh, mm -hmm. This this whole dynamic is killing us. You know, every piece of technology had to be developed. We had automobiles for 50 years before someone said, you know, kids probably shouldn't be driving these things. <laughs> and oh, <they're>, shocker. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so you understand that we're blindsided by our technology. And, and we've got to get that sleep. It's killing us. Now, the other major factor <laughs> is traffic deaths. Decade after decade, we brought traffic deaths down, airbags, seatbelts, medical technology. Yep. And now worldwide, everywhere, traffic deaths are back up again. What is the new factor? There's a reason why airline pilots and truck drivers are required by law to get enough sleep. You know, I, I my had, parents are truck drivers. I know they have they have that. They have a, both of them. Mom and dad are team drivers and they they have that. You can't drive over a certain amount. You just can't. If a trucker drives a rig off the road, the first thing the trooper or the Mountie does is look at their log. Right. And so, you know, I, I've got teenage grandchildren now. My first grandson's off to college now, but I had three teenage Congratulations. boys. Congratulations. Yeah, I had three teenage boys. And uh, at that time, the number one killer of teenagers was traffic accidents. Right. So it should be my number one concern. I made sure they all had, had, uh, uh, good training, and they always had their seatbelt buckles. And and I, I didn't have a lot of resources at the time, but I made sure they all had cars with airbags. Big deal at the time. And two out of three tested those airbags, right? But but nobody told me the single most important thing I should have done would make sure they had a good night's sleep the night before they they got behind the wheel. And and it's about quality sleep. You need to sleep in a totally truly dark room. Combine that with the eye mask. You may not get one more minute of sleep. You get quality sleep if you do it in a dark room and or wear the eye mask. It really is important. And I'm a huge science geek. My favorite website, sciencedaily.com. I check it every day. It. If through every category and the research is there, you know, I, I train fire departments worldwide. I train the largest fire department in, in, in the world. And uh, and and they 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 sleep in the firehouse, right. and you know cops cops like to make fun of firefighters, right? And the cop <laughs> line is oh, only firefighters and prostitutes make money in bed, right? So so uh, it, they've always got somebody in the firehouse they call the dark Nazi. This is the guy yeah. who makes sure the lights are completely yeah. out. This is a guy that spray paints the inside of the windows so it's completely dark in the bunk room. Mm -hmm. I told them guys that dark Nazi is right. He knows yep. the research. You got to listen to him. Listen to him. They're right. And, and, and so you may not get one minute of sleep. You get quality. So what do our kids do? They play video games all night long on Friday night. They sleep mm -hmm. on Sunday when the sun's coming in the window. 
they're getting bad and their quality. cycles are off they're getting off cycle they're getting bad quality sleep and the sun's coming in but the the two major killers that have exploded worldwide uh and there's one new factor traffic deaths and suicides have exploded virtually everywhere you know the one exception yeah. was was russia for a while uh, does that shock you in any way shape or form now, this is interesting <laughs> Because Russia had one of the most horrendous suicide rates in the Soviet Union, horrendous suicide. And the Soviet Union brought it way down by strictly rationing alcohol. Well, the Soviet Union collapsed. Oh. Soviet Union collapsed, alcohol for everybody, suicides up. And so mm -hmm. just as of a couple of years back, Russia brought suicide rate way down. How'd they do it? Strictly rationed and limited alcohol, boom, suicide rates went down. Uh, so it's kind of a temporary bump that brings us back to alcohol and sleep deprivation as impaired mm. judgment. So, but uh, the, the third major factor is the opiate overdoses. And yes. sleep deprivation creates chronic pain. It, Doc, I heard all the time, give me a, a pill. Mm -hmm. If you don't need a pill, you need more sleep. And you need to knock off the caffeine shortly after lunch. These mega doses of caffeine, are yeah. stopping us from getting good quality sleep. We're not getting deep cycle sleep. We're not getting sleep. Or when we do get sleep, we get bad sleep. And those tendons and muscles never get a chance to fully relax. So it's right. one of the most, and you know, video games, there's nothing wrong with any adult playing any game, but you've got to set a timer. Block it an hour or two every night, ding, timer goes off. Use your yep. steely warrior discipline, save the game and move on. Oh, right. A major, massive, metamorphic, online orgasmic game. You, you can't do anything an hour or two. Okay. Decide now what's important. Is your right. health important? Is your family important? Is your job important? Is your vow of marriage important? Are your kids important? Or is the game important? Decide now. That game is what's really important. It's cool. Quit your job right now. Move into your parents' basement. Draw on employment. Right. Buy a Johnny Commissar's bag of Cheetos. Play video games all night long. Millions of people are doing that. Yeah. If you want to have a life, if you want to have health, if you want to uphold your responsibility to others, you know mm -hmm. darn well you got to get those games under control. And people look at me in the audience like a deer on the bed, like, ooh, you're talking to me. And I tell them, it, it was a social blind spot. Nobody ever told you this. You know I'm right. Got to get it under control. But, you know, go back to the suicides. I had, uh, I had uh, a brother take his life. I've had... Uh, had a nephew take his life, and then another nephew. Oh, for God's sake. Uh, we come from a pretty expanded family. But in, in the case of the two nephews, it was one of those, why? Well, why did this happen? What, what, if he was suffering from some disease, if he, they, and why did this happen? And then we went back and looked at sleep. And the one was binge watching TV shows for days on end when he took his life. And mm -hmm. the other one, was playing a new release video game for three days straight when he took his life. And when you begin to connect the dots, all of a sudden it's there. And it's something we there. can do about right now. So, uh, you know, with, with one last thing to, to kind of change in topics, if you don't mind. No, you go know, ahead. All, all, so much of, of wellness comes with being able to hand it over to a higher power. Mm -hmm. That's just being able to identify the things you can control and do them. Mm -hmm. Identify the things you can't control and let go. Everything in the past is done. Got to let go of it. It'll lead you up. 
at the global level, the national level, nothing you can do about that right now. Got to let right. it go. And the one thing in a university you can control is yourself right now. And, it, and if we give way to bitterness, if we give way to cynicism or complacency or denial, that's the one thing we can't control. And you've mm-hmm. given the world a victory with your own hand, and we will not give them that victory. So kind of the key in this process is faith. When we look at resiliency, everywhere in the world, they study resiliency. They say mm-hmm. faith is one of the pillars. You've got to have a higher power to turn that over to. And so my latest book is, is on spiritual combat. And, and what I tell people is that, uh, you know, if, if, if you'd looked in the face of evil, and you don't have a force for good on your side, it, it can be hard. Mm-hmm. And, and if there is a God, you know, uh, uh, he's probably not hiding under a rock somewhere. If there is no. a God, no. everybody would know about him. Your God's not much of a God if you're the only one that knows about him. You know, and it, right. You've got some insight into God that nobody else has ever had. Then your God is not much of a God if he hasn't been able to, to get his desires and wisdom and insight out to you across years. If there was a God, uh, he would have his churches in every, every city over and over and over again. He would have uh, his word translated in every language. He would have his, his book in every hotel room in the world. You know, there, if, if there is a God, there's only one God who meets the definition any rational person would have for a creator of the universe. And, uh, and, and there is a God, I believe, and he loves us. He loves us intensely. And he's been getting his, his message out there to us. And if, if you're interested in that, I, you know, the book on spiritual combat is part of the healing process. Yes. But just, uh, you know, we, 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 we kind of processed a couple of things over this hour. And, uh, but I, I can't overstate that whole sleep thing. Uh, but, no, you, know, you can't. In the no, end, you can't. In the end, it's what happens after we die. Eternity is, you know, this life is nothing compared to what happens afterwards, eternity. And so people say, you know, how could God have permitted such evil to happen? Well, you know, uh, we're not God's puppets. He gave us free will. That means people do stupid stuff and bad things happen. But the worst thing on, the, on this planet is absolutely nothing if God uses it to bring somebody to eternity. So when we take mm-hmm. all the things of this life and we say they're really, really not important in compared, you know, what are a few more years on this earth? You know, and that you know, don't curse God when he doesn't answer the prayers you think the way you think he should. You know, a right. few more years on this earth, the lessening of suffering is nothing compared to mm-hmm. eternity. So, you know, that, that at the end, if we can take that spiritual perspective, and realize there's something far greater than our short little lives, or if there is something, then it's worthy to find that and to apply it in our lives to our healing process. And uh, and the, uh, just so neat to have watched your warrior walk, your warrior huh. journey, as you Thank went you. from from hurt to to learning, to to striving, to embracing post traumatic stress to become post traumatic growth, and to have released on the world that idea that 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 discrete atom of combat and using it as you know that i'm uh, using that forever now i hope you know that is good that's your contribution there and to use it as our focal point of healing that's so beautiful 
it just the way you describe it. I mean, you make me feel um, you make me feel incredible, and I appreciate your kind words so sincerely. Um, I don't like I, I, I don't take compliments well, nor do I understand how to uh, accept things like that. So I'm working on that. So my apologies for my awkwardness. Um, yeah. When I you know when I have my doctor tell me on a regular basis when he says, well, "Look how far you come," I I have a tendency to yell at him. And say, I have never come far enough. What the hell are you talking about? This is ridiculous. I'm still not sleeping well, or I'm still da-da-da-da-da-da. And he's like, well, no, but you need to understand when I first saw you, you could you couldn't even drive here. You couldn't, you couldn't, you you weren't, you weren't eating. You you weren't sleeping. You were suicidal every day. What are you talking about? You didn't come far. And I'm like, he's like, what you're doing right now? And I said, but but I said, but I'm not. I don't take any money from it. So I'm not working. And he goes, no, I get that. But just because you're not taking a financial gain does not mean that you're not making an impact. What are you talking yeah. about, Kelsey? You've lost your damn mind. Yeah. You're showing up your treasures in heaven, baby. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I, you know, I try to, I try to understand. I try to, my, my biggest thing is I really try to make PTS my bitch because I think if I don't, I'm going to continue in this perpetual cycle. And I know at some points when I have the, when, when, when vets and, and first responders and I speak to, and we, we talk about, we'll get, and they come to me and they say very honestly, like how, you know, I get a six foot five, 200 pound guy. I go, how, how do you, how do you cope with this? Like, how did you deal with this? And I said, just one foot in front of the other and one day at a time. And when you bring up this. Yes, go ahead. Oh, please. No, no. You go ahead. No, no. This is your show, baby. You go uh, for it. I, I just, I, I almost forgot. It's, and it's really kind of important. I tell everybody, you know, yeah. most of the technology out there is so intrusive and the technology is doing a lot of harm. But there is mm -hmm. a good side of technology. I tell everybody, mm -hmm. if I was king and could give you one gift, I'd give you a fitness tracker. And so ah. you can track your sleep. Yeah. Right. And, you know, I'm a big science geek. An article just recently looked at all the fitness trackers and said, what is the one doing the best job of tracking sleep time? And okay. the Fitbit was pretty much the best. Now, really? the, cycles, you know, the cycles of sleep can vary. As, uh, they're, they're not all that good. Anything, the, your, anything your fitness tracker tells you about cycles of sleep, it's good. But take it with mm -hmm. a grain of salt. But mm -hmm. as far as actual hours of sleep and, and interrupted sleep dynamics, the Fitbit is doing pretty much the best job out there. And, and they're all okay. better than nothing. But anybody who's never done it, you download the app and you wear that thing on your wrist and it tells you. Mm -hmm. You know, as an adult, you need at least seven hours of sleep. That's what you describe for as a minimum. And it'll tell you, right. you, you've gotten four hours of sleep for the last two months. You can't keep going like this. And so you can track this stuff. And, you know, there's a lot of little sleep lessons you get out of it. Don't let naps get in the way of a good night's sleep. Try hard to right. discipline yourself and all the sleep things. And they're all online. Take a look at it. But the biggest thing of all is controlling your caffeine. Cut off caffeine shortly after lunch. Uh, mm -hmm. so, so that you, you, you really sleep is that little vacation that waits at the end of every day. Guard your sleep. Protect your sleep. And, uh, mm -hmm. and caffeine's the enemy of good sleep. Caffeine's good. The coffee and tea appear to be pretty good for us. I think, I think coffee drinkers and tea drinkers, health-wise, are doing so much better just because sodas and energy drinks are just so mm -hmm. bad. Oh, and, so uh, but, uh, but, you know, what? I almost forgot, you know, if, if we got lives in our hands with every show, if there's any little bits of wellness we can pass out there, your little fitness right. track is one of them. Yeah. And, and, and track that sleep and be aware of that long-term dynamic. You can 
you can bank sleep before a, an athletic event and, and you mm -hmm. can recover from sleep debt with a little extra sleep here and there. I, I, we used to say you can't bank sleep. And I think the research shows otherwise now. People going up for endurance sports, people going up to, for some long-term dynamic where they will have to be up and active for a while. Uh, they can really bank sleep a couple of days before and sleep a few hours longer if they can and, and put some sleep in the bank. So you can almost think of like oh. a sleep you know, bank account and you can replenish it when it's depleted. You can, you can stockpile sleep a little bit ahead of time. Um, mm -hmm. Same thing with food, you know, you could, or, or, or air, we can hyperventilate, you know, ahead of time, be yeah. curious a little bit longer afterward. But uh, mm -hmm. these are all important things that we can apply that kind of save lives. But what have you found in your journey that, uh, that was, that, that allowed you to get sleep under control? You went from no sleep, your, your improvement. Yeah. What's the key for you? Fitness. Um, fitness. The, the military for me, before I joined the military, I was fighting at uh, international level for Taekwondo. And so I, I believe in martial arts and in the importance of it. I started when I was four and then uh, my brother was racing professional motocross. And so we were a very active family. And for me, that was the key to handling not only the military and the trades that I was in and keeping up, but also being able to cope with the, the physical exertion that my body was doing on a regular basis. And it actually would, because of that, I was on such a schedule in terms of sleep that um, it really helped me. Once I got, once my injury happened though, and I was released, um, I got back from Afghanistan. I was never contacted for six months. The, no one called. The, nobody knew where I was, no base, the, no, no one knew where I was. I was reposted to a hospital. Nobody had a clue. And so no one called. And for me in that time frame. Sleep was the biggest thing that was lacking. And I can, and I can tell you that 150%. I couldn't get to sleep. I would keep myself up and moving and busy because if I went to sleep, it was too dark. I'd wake up from nightmares every 20 minutes. And so it just got to the point where it was more, it was intimidating and terrifying to go to sleep than it was to just stay awake and be exhausted and have the, the, you know, the, the, the running, mo uh, the, the running thoughts and all of the overwhelming into a vicious cycle too. And it did. And it did for, yeah. yeah, for quite a while. And when I was living on my own, it was the absolute worst situation that could have been happening. And that's why I was suicidal at the, to the extent that I was. And I know that now, but with the healing process over the time, the biggest thing for me has been fitness. If I don't exert myself to the point of just almost wanting to vomit, then I'm not doing enough. And not everybody. And when I say this, my listeners understand this. I've had this conversation several times, whether, whether it's with a NFL player or a professional athlete on some level, if you are not doing anything for your body, your mind is getting just, it's being left, it's being left out with all of this energy and all this extra exertion. And it just starts spiraling really, really quickly. And so for me, I had to get my heart rate at a minimum above 180 and I needed to be pushing. So I'm a big road biker. Um, I, I, I did a triathlon last year and I fell in love. So now I'm addicted to that. And now I'm going to, I signed myself up for an Ironman and I, I, I need it. I, it is, it is part of my life. And if I don't get it, there is a significant instantaneous result that my husband notices immediately. I am short fused. I am less patient with my son. 
I, my sleep is horrible. I wake up looking exhausted again and I just can't think clearly. I get into a brain fog and it is, it is horrendous when it gets too far. If yeah. it goes even just a week where I haven't done something to exert myself on, and on that level, it's, it's instant. It's instantly noticeable. It changes everything about me. You know, I, I'm, I'm such a fan of the martial arts. I think of all the gifts you could give your children to raise them in the martial arts is one of the most beautiful things. It's just the structure, right? discipline. I, I, I grew up in the martial arts. I had a craving for it, a desire for it. I went out and found mm -hmm. it when it was available. And then I joined the army and my martial art became the rifle and the pistol, you know, and, and mm -hmm. I retired. And I'd heard for years about the martial art of the fireman, Fujitsu, H-O-J-U-T-S-U uh, dot com. Okay. I've become a black belt in the martial art of the firearm and uh, inducted in the Black Arts Hall of Fame. I got the secret, you know, secret decoder ring. But because my books are being used. That's the neat thing. My books are being used across the martial arts community. And uh, when I was yeah. a kid, I read, I read Black Belt magazine religiously every issue. Yes. And now I've been featured yes. in Black Belt. You know, I, just, I got it on the wall. Oh, but uh, but you know, all, of say, yeah, all of that to say, that it's the same way. Now, when I retired in 97, I've been on the road, you know, 200 days a year or more, and I'd run between terminals and I'd present eight hours <laughs> long, full energy, never stop moving for eight hours. Right. When the pandemic hit, that kind of stuff, you know, kind of went away. And so mm -hmm. I, I started doing walks with my dog and some other things. But uh, I also think that Chemical dynamics have helped me a little bit through this. There's nothing wrong with a little chemical help with your sleep every now and then. Or no, there's not. Some downtimes. Uh, mm -hmm. For me personally, you know, they were, they were just uh, ambient help to, uh, when I need it or when I need to make sure I get a good night's sleep. So we don't want to have it all the time. We don't be dependent right. on it. But mm -hmm. and I, I, I think a lot of uh, times, you know, our goal is long-term wellness. And that brings us back to exercise. That right. brings us back to being exhausted at the end of the day. And, and your path mm -hmm. to wellness is so beautiful. What a, what a great story. Uh, what a great Thank example. You, can emulate. Well, I, I appreciate that. I know, like, I know that you have, you're a busy guy. And so I don't want to keep you longer, but um, I'm going to ask you right now. And, and I'm going to make sure my listeners hear it because then I can hold you to it. When I say I have things I want to talk to you about, I want to have you on again. Um, and let me tell you why. I am very interested in what is going on long-term with things like um, vehicles of mass destruction and murder. I'm interested in what's going on with these daycare schools. I'm interested in what's going on with these school buses in Italy in 2019. I'm it, a big... the, the school bus thing, nobody heard about that. No, it, no clue. No one had no. any damn clue. I, I trained, I trained uh, uh, for your listeners here, uh, an yeah. immigrant bus driver hijacked a bus load of 51 kids, soaked them with gas, and said, you're all going to die. And Jesus and I, I, I trained major fire departments. Six months later, never heard of it. But uh, they, the, the Italians were brilliant. And I think police need to know this. Every, they One of the kids called on the cell phone, said he soaked up with gas, says they're all going to die. The Italians had a roadblock and fire trucks everywhere. And they were posing this thing. And if, when you see the picture I show in my class, it's a European school bus. The windows are down low. And the mm -hmm. cops are breaking glass and yanking kids out the window. I tell cops, uh, uh, you know, for a North American school bus, you're going to have to park your vehicle right next to the bus, get on the roof, bust the windows, and yank kids out windows. Right. 
So, so you know, you're, you're talking about some really important things, and I would love to talk to you about that further. Let's schedule that. And as far okay. as what's happening again, I, I think I think the next step, I pray that I'm wrong. We're going to see daycare massacres. We're going to see school bus massacres. Daycare massacres happen in Belgium. They've happened in China repeatedly. And what's why left? Are we, why are we, why is the government not talking about yeah, this? This is what's insane. Left to shock us. Well, what's left to stun us? I, um, I had an office visit with the vice president, a wonderful man, but Pence at the time. And I told him, you know, sir, I pray that I'm wrong. But, you know, around the world, we're seeing daycare massacres. We're seeing school buses attacked, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and, 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 and it's coming like a freight train. What's left to get on to shock us? What's left to get on the cover of every newspaper? And, yeah. and people don't want to hear that, but there are things we can do now. The things we can right. do to make these places safe, to make these kids safe. And uh, and we need to start doing those things now. And just simple awareness that these things can happen. We don't want to live our lives in fear. But you no. should you should demand that your daycare center do at least as good in protecting those kids as, as your school does. You know, how many school maskers did we have to have before we started saying, oh, we control who walks in this building. Or we control right. who walks out of this building. And we... You know, we have the capacity to compartmentalize and we have, uh, you know, we have some training to respond. And mm -hmm. so we should mandate that. And, and again, with the school bus drivers, there's good training we can give those drivers. And there's mm -hmm. things that we can be doing. And, uh, you know, even emergency, you know, emergency buttons that the bus drivers can be hitting. And there's a lot of stuff that we can do. And, and it's worthy to talk about. You know, one thing is terribly important is that the murder rate is being held down by medical technology. If, if the doc saves a life, we prevented a murder. And right. so the number of dead people completely misrepresent the problem. And we know that. Mm -hmm. We got a major study that said between the 60s and the 90s, medical technology across North America cut the murder rate to a third or quarter of what it would otherwise be. It's like inflation in, in you know, think of minimum wage. Mm -hmm. To compare right. minimum wage mm -hmm. from the 60s to the 90s, multiplied by a factor of about four. And that's the murder rate. And, and since the 90s, the leaps and bounds, we all know about tourniquets. Tourniquets alone mm -hmm. have probably cut the murder rate in half in just the last decade. So the point of, of all that, it's much, much worse than it looks. People try to tell us how bad the problem is based on the number of dead people, the murder rate. And what we, we, we have medically, you know, we have, we have inflation adjusted dollars. We need medically adjusted murders. And people say, well, 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 we use the ag assault rate. It's too easy to fudge that data. Where do we draw the line between ag assault and simple assault? It's way too easy to fudge that data. Mm -hmm. So this is a conversation we can have again. I would like very much good. to talk about that. Good. I well, I'm 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 so excited because you you have such good insight. And I'm I'm of the mindset that with this show, we we focus on mental health, we focus on the tools, but we also focus on things that aren't being well um approached and discussed in the regular population. And I think it's important to your view because you do have such educated conversations and you do talk to people. Most people in Canada don't even know what Boko Haram is. And it makes me want to vomit when I hear that. Um, people aren't understanding. And so when it does come time to send, to send the men and women to go do the hard jobs, you, you get this perception that we are we're invading, we're just hurting others. We're just constantly doing damage. We're not actually doing anything good, positive or useful in the world. And then you have that mindset coming back and having that civilian population feel that way about those that went and were willing to do that. 
I think if our media was more honest and open about what's truly going on in the world with Boko Haram, with the terrorism issues, with daycare massacres and these things in China, I mean, I've been to China. I know what China's like, been there a few times. I actually don't think I'm welcome back right now, truthfully. I'm not going to even try. Um, But I do know that there are plenty of things going on in this world that everybody would just rather uh, turn a blind eye to because our society cannot handle uh, with our Gen Z population. They cannot handle the fact that there are bad people that do bad things and they do it in a way that there is no mercy and they don't care and they have no problem wiping you off the face of the earth. And I think we are not preparing our civilian population properly to handle the shock and awe level of information that's coming our way if we don't stop it now. And, and let me try to we'll, we'll, we'll tie up this block yeah. uh, with, with a story to you and all of our veterans of Iraq and Afghanistan. And I give this to you. It was uh, shortly after 9-11, I was turning the first batch of spec ops headed off to Afghanistan. You know, the World Trade Center is still smoldering mm-hmm. rubble. We're still estimating 4,000 dead. And uh, I'm turning the first batch of U.S. special ops. And there were some Canadians on board uh, uh, headed off to Afghanistan. And uh, and uh, and uh, one of these one of these green, a young Green Beret, a young Special Forces Sergeant, came up to me. He said, "We're going to Afghanistan. We're going to kick their ass." He said, "While we're over there, you tell all those cops you teach, don't let them come hurt my kids. Right. Don't you let those bastards come hurt my kids while I'm over there." Mm-hmm. And I, I've been passing that story on for almost 20 years now. But early on, I was trained in Chicago police. A crusty old Chicago PD sergeant came up and mm-hmm. tell those guys, we got your six, we got your back. But you hunt the bastards down over there. Right. We'll do the best we can over here. And every day they don't attack us is a victory. It's a win. Yes. And, and we've kept it to hell over there. With the blood and the lies, I got a son with nine combat tours. Oh, we wow. kept it over there with the blood and the lives of our of our loved ones. And every day they don't tap over here is a victory. We kept it to hell over there. And that's a victory. Let's keep it over there and let's and keep I it the fuck over there too. I thank all your veterans for that. Never lose track of that. That old sergeant, every day they don't attack us is a victory. So God bless you and thank you for the victory and the peace that you've Damn given it. us during this time at such a price you believe in who you are it's uh it's been such an honor and such a privilege and um you my dear are welcome any time on this show at all times and you do anything you know let us know if there's anything that we can do for you for the charities for any of the people that you work with can you please give everybody your social handles and i'm assuming all of the books are available on amazon.com yeah you know really it it, you know i I, uh, I'm, I've got a pretty good LinkedIn group. I, I like LinkedIn. Okay, perfect. But I don't do it very often. Just Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman. We've got a, we got a Facebook page that has a good number of people. We don't, you know, we post things periodically, but it comes back to mm-hmm. my book again. Uh, Amazon Canada or Amazon on combat. Uh, obviously, the first one's on killing. Both of them were yep. on, uh, on the Marine Corps Commandants list throughout the war. And uh, my most recent one, there's others I got out there that are valuable. My most recent one on spiritual combat. Spiritual combat. Um, I got a theme going here, you know, on combat, on killing. I on love spiritual. it. Yeah, I got a theme there. But uh, check them out. Uh, they're, they're the best I got to give. And and we've been able to touch an awful lot of lives. And, uh, and it's been a pleasure and an honor. God bless you. 
All we can do is follow in your footsteps and hope that all we continue to do is better the world the way that you have. Thank you so much, Dave. And sorry, sir, Lieutenant Colonel Grossman um, for coming on this episode. And uh, we will, we will uh, see you all next week.